Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's topic of the week. My name is Alec, and in front of me, I have uh, Joshua himself in the flesh. <laughs> um, so for this week's topic of the week, I have, well, we have the USMCA as an economic union. So this is going to be more of a thoughtful kind of uh, discussion yeah. where we have, where we will talk about what the USMCA is and also kind of just have a more like an open debate of what we think if we were to have USMCA as an economic union. But before we go into uh, that discussion, I do just want to talk about the USMCA itself. Um, so the USMCA is a free trade agreement between the US, Canada, and Mexico. Um, this replaced NAFTA um, and was signed in on November 30th. And then it was implemented, well, took effect in July 1st. Um, the difference between the USMCA and NAFTA itself was just some different provisions. Um, some of these provisions included a more beneficial um, side for uh, Northern American uh, workers, for, uh, particularly um, workers in the United States, uh, because it was believed that the United States had, didn't have much of an advantage in NAFTA. So when Trump reorganized NAFTA to make the USMCA, it kind of e uh, created an equal playing field between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Uh, some of the provisions changes included um, stuff in dairy and agriculture, which increased yeah. U.S. farmers' access to Canadian dairy markets, um, automobiles, um, and intellectual property, labor, and a bunch of other um, financial services, textiles, yeah, and haircuts. Yep. So, that's kind of the USMCA in general. I mean, I, yeah, I think much more about it. Yeah, know? it's just a free trade agreement. It's um, relatively new. What is it? Twenty twenty one, right? So it went, went into so, effect twenty twenty. Yeah. Yep, it's very. new. It's pretty much just NAFTA two point Yeah, with just a different provision changes. So. Um, I guess we could talk about like the outlook of USMCA. If you have nothing else to add on what the USMCA itself is, I think people know what NAFTA. And USMCA yeah. is and was so. Yeah, I don't really have much more to say on it. I mean, I'm. It was a it was a good economic deal, um, by fantastic. President Trump. I think I I definitely like how it gave the access to um the American economy specifically, um, but it it definitely created a better relationship economically between Canada and Mexico. Um, Mexico, I think, was a uh, important one to create oh, this absolutely. relationship with. Um, considering we have, first off, so many people who migrate from Mexico to the United States. So that was definitely an important part to the USMCA. As it being relatively new, statistics aren't really out yet on how it's going. How uh, it changed. How it's changing. Like what's the benefits of the economy on the United States and Canada and Mexico. So we can't really give you guys that kind of outlook. Um, what we can generally tell you is that there's definitely, um, it's more fair, I would say, than NAFTA was I in agree. terms of uh, everybody. Uh, but specifically what we were looking what Trump was looking at was the United States fairness. Yep. So. Um, I do want to say that the USMCA over the next, like, until 2036, for when they had to renew it, um, their outlook is to cover more now of digital trading, anti-corruption, uh, continuing good uh, regulatory practices. And one of my favorites is ensuring that SMEs, small, medium enterprises are benefiting from the USMCA. Yeah. So 
we'll see how this goes for these small and medium uh, sized businesses and how they uh, can benefit in this uh, in this new free trade agreement. I don't think that wasn't much of a hot topic in NAFTA. So this is such a big win for these small and medium enterprises to get access to the Canadian and Mexican markets as well so that they can develop and build and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah. Okay. Well, so, our favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> Theories and, you know, opinions and explanations. So the the topic obviously is USMCA, an economic union, question mark. Can it become an economic union? And you're probably thinking, like, where did you guys think about this? Well, interestingly enough, we had an economics professor who we were talking about um, economic zones, and we just uh, in the EU, and she just brought up immigration and how there's free labor movement in the EU, and she just goes, you know, maybe if there, you know, the USMCA was an economic union, we could fix the. Um, Illegal immigration problem. And, you know, my mind blew up. <laughs> Dude, when I tell you, I sat there just like, I, I stopped processing everything else that was being said. And the way she just like nonchalantly just fixed it, an immigration it, problem. She said it and just glossed over it. Like she didn't just say the most mind boggling information to Professor Sharu, if you're watching this or listening in. We thank you for everything you've done for us. Yeah, like it blew our like our minds when she said it that no one is kind of even having a dialogue about this debate because we we understand how incredibly difficult this situation of becoming an economic union between these three states would be. But there's just no dialogue at all. And that kind of boggles my mind because it is really interesting topic to think about. Um there's different things that would benefit from a USMCA. Freer trade, like an economic zone, yes, has free trade. But this would just be like, all right, stamp it, move along. The immigration, changes in immigration, so much easier. Massive change. Common currencies or sticking with the U.S. dollar, that could create stronger economies. Right there. Yeah, that could create stronger economies. Um, financial sectors, wages can be raised. Um, stability in Mexico can be, you know, finally become a thing. Yep. So many different things can benefit from this so it was definitely interesting um so starting on those topics i would like to discuss free trade what does an economic zone have why is it so important for free trade within that you ask me or uh, generally but you okay. can start yeah so the importance of an economic union is what you said going back to the whole red tape situation where you just stamp it and go um the goal of it is to essentially, yes, you do have your free trade, limited tariffs, whatever. But with an economic zone, you could just move things instantly. So if you want to sell to Mexico, you can just put it in a truck and go and have that transaction, zero tariffs, and completely like not, not, what's the word I'm looking for? Not bound by borders borders not sure. bound by borders not bound by regulations yeah you're just selling and you're going makes transactions easier it promotes sme both yes i mean now you have an access to a canadian and mexican market you can just go through like a one lane and one lane at the border i'm here on business i have to sell here here's my stamp paper you're good to go yeah so it, it, it. it makes trade freer and it also discourages the idea of putting tariffs to try to harm 
a market harm um what is the word i'm looking for harm markets harm companies yeah to try to wages. get har- yeah, yeah. yeah to try to get an advantage uh over the other so it it this just be fantastic plus yeah. it promotes growth and investment in countries like mexico where people aren't too keen on building a business in mexico or investing in mexico but if you have a full economic union you'll have mexican entrepreneurs or people that want to be entrepreneurs have the ability to go to more richer countries like the united states or canada innovate and create something bring it back to mexico create jobs and then sell it off to um within the economic zone or you can sell it out onto the world so this is what i see as a economic benefit of of this i personally um I know how we we know how much of a long shot this is, but this is so important because well, let's take Brexit for example. Look at the EU and the UK; they just had to reno- renegotiate, I think, seventy four trade deals, and struggling to create trade routes. They just struck the Northern Ireland trade route deal, um, the the green and red lanes. It's so difficult for them when they left, and you're probably thinking, well, is it going to be just as difficult to negotiate? all red like new trade deals in this economic union and well the great thing is when you join the e you know when you join the eu we should take those same principles you join everything is you know you get the same benefits as everyone else gets you know free trade you can move anywhere you want you know you're set by a set of rules and you just follow those economic principles yep you're, you don't create new trade deals when you're in a union. Yep. Yes, the first time that the EU was created, they had to go through a laundry list of items that they want to accomplish. But the moment you accomplish that and create them, you're at the point where you could just join and you're just and you have a set of things to follow. So yeah, and I mean, this this is so great because first thing is first is that they can create the no tariff. You know, within there already is like really, really low tariffs or zero little to none. Yeah, yeah, little to none. But this could just be the no tariff and then agreed on certain things that could have tariffs from outside sources, imports and exports. Then there's the expanded access to financial services. You know, free trade is not always just in goods, it's services like um, banks, um, hedge funds, anything that they can use to invest, people can put their money in. That expands the services, not just if you're an American company, you're in the United States and you have to get licensing to go to Canada or get licensing to go to Mexico. It's all one. That's huge. And that's the same in Europe. You know, Europe is big on that. Um, the next one is lowering ta- lower taxes. If you're all in it together and businesses can move around wherever they want, there's no really incentive for someone to have higher taxes or lower taxes, you can just lower them in general because the incentive is you want them to move everywhere and have one general economy. And yeah, so I, I the free trade one is, I think that's a big talking point um, and an important part of the economic union because we see it in Europe how just how big that is. The freedom, the movement of goods, financial services, no tariffs, lower taxes. It incentivizes people businesses to move and also create you know and create these new businesses small businesses have an ability they're not stuck you know how difficult is it to go from state to state as a small business in the united states so difficult and then you can take it to the level of how difficult is it to get to canada and mexico you know it's really difficult now 
we can get on to this in the next one in immigration, but there's the passport or the business kind of passport. I don't know what it's called. It's like just to get over the border. So you have anything else to say on that one? Uh, no, I think we banged on everything we needed. to. So that's one of the biggest things that could come in an economic agreement. The next one, my favorite part is immigration. What is the biggest thing we have in America? Or that the politicians like to make it out to be is an immigration problem. There and, and it's true. There's thirteen and a half million illegal immigrants here. Our border is cluttered, really hard to get through, and that's you know many reasons for that. But immigration is great for economies. It boosts the freedom of movement. is so important. You need a job in a sector that be, needs to be filled. You go there, you fill it. If it's done, you can go back and do whatever you need to do. EU has an EU all passport, meaning if you have that passport, any country that is an EU member, you can go to. No questions, no ifs, no ands, no buts. As soon as you land at an airport, scan your passport, you're in. Yep, there's no, I mean, it's, it's just so easy. It's just like flying in the United States, you know? Once you get down, you're good. USMCA passport would do a lot of that. First things first, um... You know, for the immigrants that come over the border, for the 13 and a half million, they can solve that issue because they go, they apply for the USMCA passport. doesn't matter that they live in Mexico now. They're whole, they're one. They they're, freely moved. They're, they're freely moved. They, they are a USMCA member. Yeah, they want to work. Mm-hmm. And why should we bar them that opportunity of them wanting to work and then returning back to Mexico? Not only if, if we just let them work, like you said, it would promote economic boost. There would be a, ha- uh, a bigger pool of labor capital. so And it fills the jobs that most people that don't want to do it. So I, it, just, it just creates a bigger pool. And once we allow that free movement, if there's free movement, what problem of immigration would there be? If people want to then live in the United States, for example, they can. It'll promote the building of new housing infrastructure as well, which also solves a housing problem as well here in the united states that we have because if we have people that are willing to move from mexico to the united states the first thing they're going to need is a job the first thing they're going to need is the resources to build a house and so on and so forth so this kind of solves like a multitude of immigration related problems which is finding a job housing etc etc yeah i mean free movement of labor big port one very important, very important. especially in times like these yeah. where there's a lot of job closings right now yeah tourism i mean uh, a lot of people go to mexico mexico's a beautiful country a lot of people go to canada canada is a beautiful country and there's a lot of people that come to the united states beautiful country and then business i mean if you're just here on business you know how, you know how difficult it is for let's say you live you live in canada and you work in buffalo i've, I've been over the canadian border before Oh my god, the drive over that border, it took hours, hours and hours on end. To be fair, we were going to through Niagara Falls. But that's the quickest way to get to Buffalo. So all of these people who are working in Buffalo but live in Canada, they have to go through this border. Oh my goodness, how many times a day? Like, uh, why are you coming to the United States? You know, uh, would you have like over $10,000 worth of goods? Those are the same dang questions I'm- all the time. <laughs> And I'm sure, you know, if you're on the wealthier side, you have some passes to get through, you know, show an ID. Yeah, I mean, you, yada, there's yada, yada. the Nexus program. Yeah. There's the Century programs from, like, the Trusted Traveler programs here yeah. in the United States. But why pay when you could just 
Because you have to pay every five years. I It's every year or every five years yeah. for some of these programs. So Why pay? Money. Why pay when you could just go ahead? Yeah. Well, what's great about this? You're a USMCA passport holder or, um, you know, you're going there on business. You have, you know, whatever the business card is going to be because they'd have to be separate. Right. Um, you just create automated machines. Go up there. Passport, you're in your car. Put on the dash. Read your face. Comes back. Put it back in your pocket. Opens the gates. Boom. You're through. Seven o'clock in the morning. You got to be at work at nine. Buffalo's an hour and a half away. You get there a half hour. You get there a half an hour early. Easy, easy. You don't have to get up anymore. It's five a.m. to leave by six o'clock because you got to go through traffic. It smoothens the process. And also, the other thing that smoothens the process is also just general tourism. We were on the border to get to Niagara Falls. It took us two and a half hours to get through that border. Two and a half hours. That's so much traffic. And for what? We're so friendly with the Canadians. And half these people are like, what are you doing coming to Canada? Do you have $10,000 worth of friction? It's like so frustrating because we're so friendly with the Canadians. It's not like we're going over the border to China or Japan. And they don't know us and they don't trust us anyway. They trust United States citizens just as like going down to Mexico should be as simple and Mexicans coming through to the United States, vice versa, Canada, Canadians coming through to the United States. It should be easier. And this will make it easier and make it much more incentivized too to, to open business, to work. Um, it would be very, very uh, influential and, and it right. would solve a lot of the immigration problems. We I mean, 13 and a half million people. What do we do with them? Well, you know, give them the rights as a USMCA citizen. I don't have to be American. USMCA. All of a sudden, they're taxpayers for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and they save everyone's problems. Now they're bringing in revenue, which is going to go into my next point, is that there's going to be more money circulating. So not only will the U.S. get a piece of the pie when it comes to more money circulation, where if we have more money circulating in the economy, that means more jobs, better economy, and not only just for the United States, but it's for Canada and Mexico. So now you have a bigger bigger circulation of money and a wider circulation of money and it goes back to the point where it just incentivizes to do business in other in other areas yeah so perfect whole you know rounded system financial services small business large corporations tourism it all circles it all makes it easier and it'll fix the bank problem too because now banks are more inclined to fix any cracks they have in the financial system to support uh a developing USMCA mm-hmm. because if if one bank hypothetically has a big like stronghold on USMCA's economy, it could collapse. It could hurt three not collapse but hurt three economies rather than one. So it'll it'll put the pressure on banks as well to essentially fix their shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the one big thing I think people are probably thinking about: what are you? Where these are benefits of hypotheticals. What are other like things that kind of like draw us all together? What what can draw all these countries to do this? Well, first off, common things like we have some of the biggest oil markets in the world. Canada is a large oil market. The United States is a large untapped oil market. Mexico has a large untapped oil market. All of us need that. That's the important part. Second thing is labor. We there are a lot of Mexicans who 
they want to work and they need labor and it's not we can create labor in Mexico but they can also come here for labor and go to Canada for labor and then the next thing is financial services Mexico needs that US and Canada has that we could help them promote financial services and all other things and then tourism is another thing that we all have we all need common things that can just make life easier if we were all just an economic union yep I think another thing we're not addressing here is if the USMCA became an economic union this would force the creation of better transport infrastructure. Yeah, that's right. I so about that. the United States, I don't know how any of y'all feel about it, is a very car dependent society. Yes. I have my things to say on it, but it will promote more and more efficient public infrastructure because now we need to connect three countries. How are we going to do that? High speed rails, better highways, better sort of like everything. Larger metro systems. Larger metro systems, airports. It'll just Even open expanding a new, cities in general. It'll open a new... That too. It'll just promote a whole new level of infrastructure that we direly need because of the rest of the world and Europe and Asia. They have amazing infrastructure yeah. systems oh, yeah. to connect people. And if we, we don't have that here in the United States, we have cars. And there's just inefficient you have one person driving one giant piece of metal to get from point a to point b when you can have a high-speed rail to get you from point a to point b but carry hundreds of people yep it would be so so huge and the one biggest thing i think that's a big especially a big problem in mexico city there's so many people it's dense new york city very dense toronto very dense well what does this do the United States is pretty good at this. We have Houston, we have Dallas, we have LA, we have San Francisco, we have Chicago, we, we got everything. But Canada has dense cities, Vancouver and Montreal and, um, what's the other one? Toronto. Mexico City has 20 million people in it, I want to say. Somewhere between 15 and 20. It's Not entirely huge. sure. It's huge. Yeah. So it's huge. This gives further expansion. There's going to be a lot of people, a lot of movement for cities. And even in the United States, I, I truly, truly believe that cities like Dallas, that cities like Atlanta, that cities like LA, that cities like San Francisco need to expand, just as Toronto needs to expand, just as Mexico City needs to expand. Uh, Tijuana, big tourist place, very small city. It needs to expand. It promotes this this expansion of these cities for rights. And you're going to say, well, it can hurt the environment. Well, I mean, it's not going to be that much. You know, we don't need to expand 20 miles. We just need a couple of expansions here, bigger high rises. I mean, even that, you have efficient public transportation services. So now you're re reducing the dependency on cars and putting into more efficient public transportation. And by the time we get that public transportation, it'll probably be very more clean, much more cleaner. So it's like we're reducing cars, we're putting more people into public transportation, it'll reduce CO2 emissions overall. Yeah. While creating a network to connect anyone in the United States, Mexico, Canada region. So, so important. So important. Those high speed rails. We need that in the United States anyway. <laughs> you <laughs> desperately need that. I think we should just huge. do it for all three of us. I mean I agree. I totally agree. It would be something that would be just so beneficial, so easy. To not not easy to do. It would take a long time, but it would make life easier for everybody in terms of travel. Um, the last one I want to touch on here is common currency. Do we, or if we were to do this in this hypothetical world, 
Would a common currency be beneficial, or should we just stick with the American dollar? This is a tough one because of how influential the U.S. dollar is around the world. In our last latest global developments, you said that the dollar is 88% of the world's trading currency. Mm -hmm. If we were all of a sudden to flip a switch and say we're coming up with the U.S. MCA currency instead of the dollar, that would create a lot of drawbacks because now everyone has to stop using dollars and then put and then use USMCA the currency. Yeah. What we should do is probably use the dollar as the common currency for Canada and Mexico because the dollar is stronger anyways than the Canadian dollar and the Mexican peso. Yeah. So and plus it'll promote the use of dollars more domestically and internationally as well because now the dollar would have that more investor confidence and people will want to continue to use dollars to make purchases if that makes sense no i agree because the dollar is the common currency of the usmca everyone around the world is like well they made a whole economic union and they're trading in dollars we can benefit from this and also use dollars because as they're because innovation drives essentially a value of a currency. Yeah. If you're not innovating, if you're not doing anything with your currency, there's no trust in that currency. So yeah. once you develop that trust, then you have the rest of the world using US dollar and hurt the yuan. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I just wanted to bring it up just as a kind of like yeah. contention point. Um but yeah, sticking with the US dollar, first off, um I mean the Canadian dollar isn't far off the United States dollar in terms of value. It's pretty it's a very valuable currency, but the peso is. So for me personally it makes sense. It also, if you use dollars, it makes a lot of investors would trust to invest in a country like Mexico versus if they're still in the peso. Right. Because the peso is very um, unreliable and very, very, That is very, also what I forgot about. Yeah. So it would make that, it would incentivize them. Like, oh, they don't use dollar. You know, okay, well, we'll invest in Mexico. Because <laughs> what does it do? I mean, the U.S. dollar would build up stronger financial services because it's everywhere. It's not just America. It's it's used in both these places for the majority for all fi- for all financial transactions. It will raise wages, especially in Mexico, because the they will get their dollar amount instead. So and they're making thirty pesos, which is equivalent to like let's say six dollars. I'm not completely sure what the exact figures are, but now they're gonna have. For, Every dollar is a dollar, so they'll have the ten dollar, you know, minimum wage. Minimum wage. Um, and it drives wage co- wage competition, yeah. which overall increases the what's the word? It, it like better is the people. Yeah, like, I don't know what the word. Yeah, is. It, it puts them in a financially stable, uh, stable place. Yeah, something like that. Place, yeah. you know. Um, and again, the money movement around can solve a lot of immigration issues. Because the passport will allow them to move wherever they want, but they don't have to. It allows them to, but they don't have to because their dollar is going to be there. It's going to be at home now. Right. So they don't have to come here and make 50000 US dollars and send it back. It's going to be right there with them. I think one more thing I want to add is that if the USMCA became reality, we're, we're talking about a lot of the economic side of things. I also want to say that a lot of social and political issues will also be solved. If the USMCA uh, as an economic union becomes reality, because now we have to develop more inclusive ways to work with one another as well, which will solve a lot of 
racism xenophobia here in the united states that unfortunately some people have against mexicans because they believe that they're coming in and they're taking our, jobs. taking our jobs but it, it would reduce a lot of that it would cause a lot of pressure to reduce that xenophobia and that hate and it also helps mexico with their cartel problem as well because this gives a push for mexico to try to solve their cartel problem yep. reduce corruption because now they're playing a much bigger role and they have to keep up with this bigger role. So it puts the pressure on Mexico to do something about the the cartel problem. Yep. And it also pushes the United States and Canada to support Mexico as well. Absolutely. So it's kind of like a win-win situation for both the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good stepping stone also for Latin America. I think seeing, oh, yeah. seeing what Mexico... As bad shape they are in terms of the corruption and the gangs and the cartels and... If this happens and they just completely reverse it, they figure it out and they get help and they get by it, you know, multilateral help. My America can sit there and say, okay, they did it. Let's do it ourselves. You know, South America and the Caribbean and uh, Central America, they get on it. They work together fighting the cartel and that could be huge. Um, the next thing I want to discuss, though, we discussed a lot of the positives, a lot of the benefits, the things that can come if we put the USMCA. What are the barriers? What are the issues? That can arise. Well, the first thing I think of is the Mexican economy. Mm -hmm. The Mexican economy is not yet on par with the United States and Canada's economy to make that safe transition to a full open economic union. Yeah. We need to continue for the next, uh, up until our deadline, where, which we need to renew USMCA in 2036. We need to find a way to solve, of course, if we do it, early and we say USMCA as an economic union, it'll put the pressure on the US and Canada to solve the cartel problem sooner than later. But in order to ensure a safe transition, we need to do it beforehand and solve a lot of the corruption and political problems in Mexico. And then as soon as we solve some of it, we don't have to solve all of it. We should save that for when the USMCA economic union becomes a reality to then really crack down on it. But the Mexican economy it's just yet not as strong as the U.S. and Canada's. So that would cause it, – it'll be a benefit for Mexico because now they'll have untapped access to Canadian and American markets. But if we were to flip it the other way, Mexico uh, – the United States, sorry, and Canada would then hurt a little bit because then yeah. there would be a, a sort of like a feeling of balance. They got to pull the weight. They got to exactly pull the weight. But again – and a little work needs to be done beforehand to try to speed up Mexico. They don't have to be fully on par, but because like look at Germany, for example, they're their fourth largest economy and people around them are not like the countries around them are not at economic par with Germany, but they're still part doing fantastically yep. because they're part of the EU and they can keep up with like innovation, um, technology. So we also need to see that in Mexico as well. Yeah. As long as the Mexico finds a way to push for innovation and drive just better education in Mexico and create a skilled labor force, mm -hmm. then it'd be easier to transition. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I was going to bring up instability as well, um, not economically, but for uh, cartel-wise. Um, that's a huge one. I mean, you, you, we all know the United Prime. States. Yeah. yeah, we all know the United States and Canada would sit there and like pressure and put a lot of pressure on mexico and it might piss them off and not wanting to do this and it, it would probably turn away a lot of um 
Mexicans too because they're like, well, you guys want to focus outwards, but we can't even fix what's going on in, inside right. with the cartels, with crime. And that that's a big one. Um, their, their instability, their basically moving towards police state um and then their their fight they they a lot of their economy and a lot of their gdp is going towards military and police to fight crime and fight the cartels and the cartels are a big burden not just on mexico but on latin america next one that i have is it could be an issue is the united states with its large conservative population hmm. i'm not going to disagree and argue with conservatism as a general thing i'm myself am a more conservative gentleman but um there's a large population of conservatives that are turning populist that are turning against going to the you know international stage you know donald trump brought a lot of things of them not funding the taking funding from nato taking funding out of the un as the united states funding and trying to renegotiate deals, um, looking inwards, trying to fit, like, bring uh, manufacturing back to America. All good things, you know, done properly, you know, could have been better, but all good things. But we are a society that doesn't always, that has a counter pressure of not looking outwards of that's conservative in the United States. So that could be a big barrier. That's actually a fantastic point. I didn't think of that when I was looking at what, needs to be a reality first before USMCA because becomes an actual thing. It is true, and it's unfortunate that with everything going on around the world, the United States population in general really has been feeling more inward-looking uh-huh. than rather outward-looking. And I don't think this is viable because we need to be even more outward-looking now. Because look at China and Russia, for example, right? They're continuing to outward-look regardless of all the economic hardships going on around the world. Mm-hmm. And we should be doing the same thing. We need to see what we can do with our partners regionally here in America and in South America, what we can do with our Asian partners. Because if, when we do things, when we have more minds to the table, we can solve a lot more problems more efficiently. So we we, we can't stop looking inwards and we need to look more outwards. Yeah. And I think one of the things that people kind of misconstrue within the United States is that Looking outwards and looking inwards are completely two different things. I think they go hand in hand. A lot of times when we look outwards to, um, let's say, get precious metals, they can benefit the economy. Or let's say to get oil, that benefits the economy. Um, you know, Trade deals, that benefits the economy. And so not looking outwards doesn't mean you're just not looking at sometimes you're doing looking outwards to help what's going on inwards. Same with going inwards. So I think they we need to start looking at them as kind of like a relationship, not a this is one way, this is another way. We gotta look at them as a relationship to where, okay, we could focus on what's going on here, um, by making deals here, or you know, focus on what's going on out there, but also focus on what's going on here by making deals out there to benefit what's going on in here yeah so it's kind of like a relationship more than a opposite i also have one thing to add to well this is a a new thing that i want to talk about is the idea of like sovereignty concerns Ah. as well between mexico united states and canada because now if we have a full free economic union that means we'll we'll have to have political ideals be the same thing we need to have um open borders etc etc so the, the biggest concern with the USMCA is sovereignty issues caused by like 
having to have like similar essentially politics. Yeah. So that's also one of the biggest reasons and the biggest like not downside, but I would just say concern, really. This is probably more like a United States like type of concern rather than Canada and Mexico in my yeah. opinion. I mean there's still always gonna be sovereignty and I guess I think we should allow the respects of each country to govern the way they want to govern. Um, within reason, because we want obviously to have aligned values. That's right. important. Um, but the EU does a really good job of that. I think. I think the UK leaving. Um, I want to blip. I think it was a conservative population scared about immigrants and left. Right. I don't think the United States has that same fear. First off, we are the highest country in net immigration in the world, so. That's not something we fear. Do we do we have a conservative population that cares about like immigration? Absolutely, but their immigration outlook conservatively in this country, I believe, is more towards the political control, like government right. control, versus like ideology. There is uh, there is obviously a clear ideology conservative, you know, section, but I think it's more about political and government control than anything. Right. So that might not be a, a big issue. With identity in terms of people moving freely, but you are right. The sovereignty concerns of aligning politically, right? Um, and I just want to look at the EU model, for example. Right, the politics in each individual European country is different. Every country has their own problems, but they're able to set them aside when it comes to the concern of the EU as a, in general. Yeah, like if you look at the 2015 refugee crisis, the EU had no choice. Of course, there was hot debate on like my country's taking all these migrants especially that that debate was hot between italy and greece yeah but it pushed the eu to do something about it to open up uh migration yeah into the eu so it, it allows for yes you'll have your ability to have the idea of sovereignty and protecting your own country but it'll also create a new way of solving political problems rather than having just one country saying i can't do this i'm gonna just pass it on to another country yeah so i guess that kind of like solves the feeling of sovereignty concerns yes you'll still have your sovereignty but you need to come to a consensus with the rest of the eu to discuss what we can do to protect your sovereignty and solve a problem that does arise like a migration crisis yeah and i definitely agree i think that's a good way to look at it and i think the the good thing about the U, the u.s canada and mexico there's not really a worry, I think, of movement to a lot of, like, large movement to the country. The biggest problem in immigration is Mexicans moving over the border. And then if you solve that by USMCA passport, you know, you essentially get rid of that problem. And yep. the problem gets smaller towards places like Colombia, which that's can be mitigated easily. And, and another yeah. thing to add to that is our geography, literally. Yeah. We are so distant from what's going on in the uh, past Pacific and past the Atlantic. Yeah. We, all we have is just us really yeah. in our area. Great. Europe has Africa. Europe has Asia just boarding right next to them. Yep. So they have the ability, they have the chances of receiving more migrants. There's a more possibility for a migrant influx compared to us where we're just kind of just distant there. from, yeah, we're yeah. just there in our own piece of land and far away from Asia and Europe. Yeah. The last point I want to bring up is it's the, probably the, the most difficult one for the United States to get over. 
how does the United States, you know, relinquish full control? Because that's really difficult. And how do we try to get rid of the fear that we're going to have full control over this instead of equal um, control between Mexico, Canada, and the United States? Because, I mean, I know a lot of the people in Washington would say, well, we're going to lead this process, right? Well, like Canada and Mexico is going to be like, this is going to be an equal partnership. They're going to have fear the United States is going to take over, and we're going to have fear that we can't control. How do we get around that one? That's difficult. This is a very difficult question. Yeah. And I think one of the actually biggest concerns of all this is this idea of power. We are such a power-hungry country, and the rest of the world is. We're still stuck to our nationalistic ideals of trying to be one, uh, trying to be the leader instead of being just one entity. Mm-hmm. So, to get around this, I really just this one. This one's tricky. You have to this wrap the tricky. head. Yeah, because I, I this world just relies on just. At the moment, we rely on instead of converging globally, we still are tied to uh, the idea of nationalism. But there is that there is a growing shift to become to becoming uh, converged as yeah. one world. Yeah, but. We're not quite there yet, and this is why it won't be a reality sooner than later, because of the idea of power. I agree, and I think, for me, the biggest thing, the United States doesn't have to relinquish control, literally. First things first, we're the biggest, of the, we're the biggest economy in the world. We're the biggest economy, period, within the USMCA. So, by default, practically speaking, we have control. Because we control 99% of the financial markets that will be coming out between us. But we have to understand that they're going to want things, Mexico and Canada, and we're going to want things. And we have to respect equally what everybody wants and kind of get on the same page. And that's going to be a little difficult process. But I don't think Washington has to worry about relinquishing control. I think that we'll keep it because just our power in general we'll have, is control. We'll have essentially like indirect control. control. Than direct control. Yeah. But politicians in DC want the feeling of direct control. Yeah. Because, like you said before, we are an economic powerhouse, the United States alone. We would have indirect power, and everyone would just rely on us, anyways, for a lot of facilitating of issues that come about. But they should get the feeling, like Mexico and Canada should get the feeling that they're equal versus knowing that they are. Right. That, that's okay. They feel like it. They're going to feel like it. If they're not, then, you know, that's not a good thing. So we need to give them that kind of level. Right. We can control indirectly and give them the feeling that they have an equal say in everything. If there's got to be a point in time where we understand, as the United States, where trying to control everything is limiting our ability to develop. And if we just work out partnerships and work out agreements... The United States in the long run will be better off economically, politically, socially better than the idea of wanting control over everything because we want to be the sole power in charge of everything. I understand why the United States wants to do it. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the U.S. is a jerk in the international stage. We just need to cut back a little bit and see that for the it, it's better for our people where we, instead of being one power trying to control everything we are the leading power in facilitating discussions debate innovation tech everything 
that'll make us the instead of the boss versus leadership mentality that'll make us an actual leader rather than that boss mentality of yeah we control bossing the world not yeah. you know we are we facilitate yeah instead of we control yeah and I, I definitely like that the friendship the friendship model stern model we have to be stern but friendship that's right. that's definitely important and this won't be a model until like whatever until all the old heads in dc leave and the newer generation of politicians thinkers come in, come in yeah yeah well anything else i i think we banged on everything i do want to add one thing yeah is um in order for another thing to add to for this to become a reality is a new court system as well yeah that'll this uh all of this may seem like a minor piece of what we discussed the eu has how many two court systems mm-hmm. that uh that handle disputes over migration handle disputes over trade mm-hmm and handle disputes between member states. Yes. So there's also needs to be a new like USMCA court system to handle these disputes as well, but that can be a relatively easy fix. Yes. But I also wanted to add that in there to to us. Yeah, that's a good point because the, the the EU um what is it, the European Court of Justice, ECJ and the EC something. Yeah. ECE maybe. I'm not yeah, entirely ECE. sure, but I know one of them is the ECJ. But they're very uh influential Policy-wise, because they don't have a direct role in writing policy, but they can create policy because of their decisions, kind of like the Supreme Court does. Yeah. So that would be that would be really important to kind of get rid of the to make sure disputes don't go too far. You know, people are having an even playing field. Right. So, and any of the policies that are made in the USMCA, they would have to go through the USMCA court system. Yeah. And you also are going to need a new governing body, a new executive, essentially legislative and judicial system for the USMCA alone. Mm-hmm. To make decisions policy wise yeah. and all the fun fun other activities. But that's all I have to say for it. Well, this one's an interesting topic. Um this is one of our first, I think, theoretical ones where you kind of just like sat and discussed what if. Yeah, what yeah, if some so. what ifs. I so, think so um we said this at the beginning, but we'll reiterate this again. Um, this is we we understand this is a complete long shot. <laughs> this oh yeah, probably won't happen in our lifetime. Um, so it was just an interest, interesting theory. Yeah. I, that I'm glad we we brought this up. Yeah, because it, it's something I think that needs to be in the dialogue. Because look at how powerful the EU is, and think about how powerful we can become in terms of and how influential. I'm gonna I'm not gonna say powerful. I'm gonna say influential. We can become. Um, even though the United States is already incredibly influential, it can create more friends. And because we come together, we, we're kind of showing that we can come together with other people. So it could be a really important chapter um, in the future for the United States, for Canada, and for Mexico. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, you guys have any other ideas about this kind of stuff, like theoreticals and what ifs um, that you'd like us to discuss? Yeah. yeah, let us know because this was a lot of fun. Come, like, this one's something we came up with like last second. So we want to kind of think about more things like this right. um, in the future for topics of the week. So, yeah. All right. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening in. And uh, we will see you in the next episodes. All right. See you.